The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook if you sign up for a two-week trial of their service. Audible has 40,000 titles available to download. For all the details, follow the links at guardian.co.uk slash audible. The Guardian. I'm Anushka Astana, The Observer's Policy Editor. This is The Focus Podcast, and this week we are looking at the question, is religion a force for good in the world? In a few days, Christopher Hitchens and Tony Blair will spar on that very issue. Hitchens is a formidable intellectual and militant atheist. He has authored the book God is Not Great. Blair has become one of Britain's most famous Catholics. When he was Prime Minister, he was famously told by his press secretary, Alistair Campbell, we don't do God. He did, of course, and after stepping down from government, he very publicly left the Anglican Church and converted to Catholicism. Today, The Observer has brought together five people from the worlds of religion, politics and academia to debate the same question Hitchens and Blair will spar over later this week. Is religion a force for good in the world? Joining me today are Christina Adoni, the author and journalist who is former editor of The Catholic Herald. She's also research fellow for the Centre for Policy Studies. The philosopher A.C. Grayling, who has written a number of articles, including one entitled The Empty Name of God, in which he argues that the net effect of hu- on humanity of man-made religion is negative. Samia Rahman, a freelance journalist living in London, who has written a great deal for The Guardian. Samia was deputy editor of ML, a Muslim lifestyle magazine, and now is deputy director of the think tank, the Muslim Institute. John Crudus, the Roman Catholic Labour MP for Dagenham, In a recent speech, John argued that Labour was a moral force for the common good, for reciprocity, for liberty and joy, and for a commonwealth. He claimed that much had been learned from religion, although he also quoted influences from outside. And Evan Harris, the former Liberal Democrat MP, a famous proponent of a more secular society who has campaigned on issues such as embryo research, assisted dying for the terminally ill, and choice in abortion. Christina, can I come to you first? What would a world look like without religion? I think all the poor. When I, when I think of religion, and I, I must stress here that I embrace the, the concept of religion as faith rather than um, simply a structure like the, the Vatican or um, a synagogue. When I think of religion, I think of the injunctions that it has given its followers. Repair the world, a Jewish commandment. Love thy neighbor as thyself, the most famous Christian commandment. And look upon charity as something that you must do every day that the sun rises, which is a Muslim injunction to charity. I think without such wonderful exhortations, our spirit would be the poor, and so would our society. And I think it is one of the tenets of religion, of all the the major monotheistic religions, that each one of us is special, that each one of us deserves respect, having been made by God. And I think that too is something at the very heart of our society, of a good society rather, not our society. A good society, John, that's something that you've talked about. 
Yeah, I agree with everything Christina just said. Actually, <laughs> I think it is it is the um, the generic element of all religions is their search for compassion. Um, I think uh, I always return to what Karen Armstrong does actually in terms of Hillel's golden rule. You know, when asked by uh, the non-believer that would they they would convert if he stood on one leg and recited the scripture, he simply stood on one leg, said, "Do not do unto others as you'd not have them do to you." Um, that's the Torah, the rest is commentary. And I think that's quite a good departure point in terms of how you live your life, the search for virtue in our world. Okay, so John's saying he agrees with Christina and Evan is mouthing that he definitely does not. Well, well, I agree with her only in the sense that she's appropriated to religion, obvious moral rules uh, that apply to people equally, as equally to people without religion. So you can't really defend religion by claiming unto religion rules that predated each of the religions that she then cited that are statements of the obvious in terms of moral goods. Uh, And the real question is, the question you asked is, what would the world be like without organised religion, which I think is the... because everyone has beliefs, and I don't think it's not reasonable to suggest that people wouldn't have beliefs, uh, mystical or otherwise. Uh, I think um, I'm with John Lennon on this, that uh, it would be a much better place in terms of peace. Uh, And in fact, even in your introduction, you described Christopher Hitchens as a militant atheist, with no justification, and Tony Blair as a Catholic. One of those people has invaded a country under false pretenses and is a keen proponent of of, uh, nuclear uh, weapons, and another isn't. So why one is labelled as militant when, as far as I know, Christopher Hitchens has never threatened anyone or been violent... I think underlies the fact that there's a wish to label those people who believe that there, sh- that there should be less of a role for religion in public policy as somehow extreme when they're not extreme. I think the most I've looked carefully at what's been done in the name of religion and in the name of, of secularism and the we don't need to go in. I think it's obvious what's been done in the name of religion. But the, all I can find in the name of so, secularism, Evan. All I could find fascism, communism. That's a nonsense. All I could find that's done in the name of, of of atheism or secularism, not by atheists, but in the name, in the cause, is a ban on uh, and that I disagree with. Is a ban on headscarves in Turkish universities and a proposed burqa ban in France. Both are wrong. But if that's the worst that's done in the name of a lack of religion, then I'd rather run those risks than the risks of things that we see that go beyond this single rule of Hillel. I mean, you know, apostasy, blasphemy, intolerance. It's bad news for women and gay people where organised religion plays a major role in public policy. Okay, I'm going to... In a minute, I'm going to ask uh, Christina and Sammy to come back on that. But, Anthony, just quickly, you're nodding in agreement. But is there an argument that the good, perhaps even in atheist people today is something that has come perhaps as part of the influence of religion historically? No. um, If you think about uh, the uh, dominance of Christianity in in Europe, which really took hold right about the 4th, 5th century AD, that was a 1,000 years nearly after Socrates and Plato and Aristotle had begun to think about the nature of the good and the good society. And in fact, uh, if if you're very careful about this, uh, have a look just at the New Testament documents or those that were selected by the church as canonical. They say, give away all your money. Turn your back on your family if they don't agree with you. People do bad things, help them to do them more, like, you know, turn your other cheek. Take no thought for tomorrow, make no plans. This was a morality, an unlivable morality, premised on the idea that the world was very shortly to end. It was going to end next week or next month. 
And when after several centuries had passed by and the Perusia hadn't happened, um, they began to import wholesale the, the, the wonderful, rich heritage of, of ethics that had been discussed by the Stoics and the Epicureans and the Aristotelians for centuries before their time. What we think of as distinctive of Western morality has its roots deeply in uh, the non-religious, secular tradition of, of ethics that comes from, from classical antiquity. And the, the, this idea of the golden rule, I mean, everybody, you know, there are two different versions of it. Don't do unto others as you wouldn't have them do to you, or do unto others as you have them do unto you. George Bernard Shaw was definitive on this. He said, don't do to others as you would have them do unto you, because they may not like it. And in fact, it's a very, very important insight, that one. Other people are different from you. Respect the difference. Allow them their latitude. Tolerate the fact that they may not share your values, uh, but, but, but try to formulate a way of living together with them. And that means, um, you know, not trying to impose beliefs or, or views or values on them that uh, may not come naturally to them. So, Samia, we're being told it's bad for women, bad for gay people. Well, I see religion and the practice of religion as often an extension of an individual's personality and their existing sort of thoughts and beliefs and, and their characteristics. And so I, I see this oppositionality between belief and non-belief as almost a, a moot point. We have shared values. Um, religion offers many people with a framework and a moral compass and a lot of people have who do believe have their own journey through and they navigate through the sort of framework and through the sort of guidelines that their religion offers them and they come to their own sort of conclusion and their own way of, of living. Um, so I, 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 do, I do have um, difficulty with this sort of dichotomy between um, belief and, and non-belief and I, and I think we can look at the sort of intersections and where we do agree and 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 gain something from that rather than constantly sort of positioning ourselves as as, as the other John oh, sorry I'll come to you in a sec Christina John you were just nodding I was I mean because I I, I just find the world a complex place right and um, I don't don't deal in absolutes so I mean you know I think you can respect difference you can be tolerant you can be you can seek to nurture um, wiser virtuous people without you know the absolutism that dominates all sides of this debate and we live in the spaces between them that's that's but, what, a, but what about the charge that you know, on the one hand, you're arguing that religion has brought many great things mm -hmm. to the world. And what other people here are arguing is that it's also responsible for many very negative things. Uh, um, Self-evidently. You know, I mean, that is the complexity of the world we live in. Well, I mean, you know, this is not... And still is. And still yeah, is look, who, 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 I'm not in denial about this. Objectively, that's true. Empirically, it's verifiable. Exactly. You know? what, what I think we, we who believe are very conscious of is that we want to take the best of religion and we don't want to take on the bad bits we don't want to in any way condone pedophile priests we don't want to in any way condone um you know the uh, lacrimose tele televangelist in america who takes up you know millions and um and then uh you know w makes away with the church funds but what we're saying is that despite the corruption of the ideal that ideal remains an inspiration for millions the world over. 
Anthony. I mean, I welcome tremendously the concessive and inclusive attitude of people who have a faith and they say they want to coexist with other people who have a faith to cherry-pick the best bits of their religion and leave the undesirable bits, the anti-gay, the anti-women, the burn-them-at-the-stake bits. Uh, I, I, I welcome that. And that is a function of our secularism, in fact. Uh, the, the fact that since the Enlightenment, uh, the, the, the churches, which when they were in power, were uh, able to exercise uh, you know, tyrannical uh, control over people's lives and thoughts and, and beings. Uh, but, but they've been pushed back into a corner. It's really interesting that wherever religion is on the front foot, it bears down in a very oppressive way on people. Look at the Taliban in Afghanistan. Wherever they're on the back foot, they suddenly become very friendly, very concessive <laughs> and very tolerant. And uh, that's where they should be, very firmly on the uh, back foot. OK, one sec. Before you come in, Evan, Christina's jumping up and down. Yes. I think that what we have seen in the past may have been the oppression by uh, some church institutions of people who were not believers. What we're seeing in the present is the oppression, the hunting down of believers. And whether it is the Muslim community who feel every day that they open the newspaper, oh my gosh, you know, it's anti-Islam again, because, you know, um, there was a fight in Dagenham, let's say, and, um, and a Muslim was carrying a knife. Um, or the, the Christian BA worker who is not allowed to wear a cross. Or the school play that is not allowed to be called the nativity play. But you know, for Pete's sake, these this are, is oppression no, this, I, of a I, very important part of somebody's system well, of belief. Clearly yeah. some religious minorities are oppressed by, by political entities or indeed other religious entities. Or uh, non-religious entities. Uh, yes, but not in the... Ne- but, uh, I'm going to come to what, what a secular society means for religious freedom in a moment, but I don't think we can accept, uh, and I don't think one should accept, the idea of Christian victimhood in this country. So there what are do you huge, say... Well, I'll just explain why. Because there are huge uh, privileges accorded to religion and particularly Christianity in this country. They have a status in our parliament as of right. I think there's only one other state that puts the, uh, you know, clerics in their parliament as of right, and that's Iran. And I don't think that's a good model for us to follow. There are uh, charitable dispensations for religion. Religions are allowed uniquely, uniquely allowed the right, the exemption to discriminate against people on the grounds of sexual orientation in a way that gay people are not allowed, gay bed and breakfast owners, to turn away, or schools to turn away people of religion. It's only religious schools that can discriminate against the non-religious or the other religious. So I don't think we should accept for a moment this religious victimhood. But I want to explain why a liberal secular democracy is the best protector of religious freedom. Because what a liberal secular democracy says is that we need to guarantee the absolute freedom of belief. And I don't come to this campaigning for atheism. I'm interested in public policy and the influence of religion on that. And to maximise the freedom, which is a limited freedom to express and manifest religious opinion such that it doesn't interfere with the rights and freedoms of others and along with that it's to end religious privilege of one religion over another uh, and to separate the church and religion and both of those are required in order to maximize guarantee that absolute freedom of belief and maximize the freedom to manifest and it is liberal secular democracies that are the best guarantors of freedom there is no theocracy that has ever provided for religious freedom let alone emancipation of women and okay, equal rights sec- for gay people Anthony, no, quick, please I, 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 I second all that yes uh, there's an important uh, additional point to be made about a secular dispensation which protects everybody's rights to, to have their beliefs but it, it, it implies also that religious organizations like churches for example should 
recognize themselves for what they truly are, which is self-constituted interest groups. They're civil society organizations which exist to put a point of view, have every right to do that, have every right to have their say, but commensurate with their real footprint in society. In our society, they have a massively over-amplified voice, massively oversized footprint in the public square, and that's wrong. They're like trade unions or political parties and the rest of them. Let them have their say, but don't give them this artificial amplification of seats in the House of Lords and uh, you know four hours of broadcast of the BBC every day and faith-based schools and the rest of it, because it tremendously distorts our society. John, can I ask you, I mean, I'm sure you want to reply to more than just this on that, but one point about the faith schools. Um, I was talking to someone the other day, faith schools are allowed to reserve places among their teachers for people of that faith. So Catholic schools can reserve places for Catholic it's teachers. Is that right? It. They can sack people who lose their faith. Is that right? I think it is, yeah. I think it is. And why, why do you think it is? Because I think it is. <laughs> Objectively, the position, I think. But, I mean, look, I mean, let's go back to this question but about... Why is uh, it legitimate for someone who's a very good maths teacher, teaching in a state-funded school, salary paid 100% by the state, to have even a faith question asked at interview, or to be sacked if they don't comply with Catholic orthodoxy on who they live with, even? Can't because be I wrong. think there is, there, is a, there is a sentiment that is attached to a specific faith school that is appropriate for the people who administer the, you know, the, the teaching in their school. It seems, it seems to me that, you see, I, I come at this from a slightly different uh, approach, uh, which is, my view is, what are the forces that resist the commodification of our lives, right? Um, and that, that is the struggle. It seems to me self-evidently in terms of the destructive way that capitalism can deracinate our culture and our lives and a specific model of the human condition that is one of atomized economic exchange that has dominated our thinking. And what are the redeeming elements in the world that can safeguard and fight against that commodification of our lives? And faith communities are one of them. So it is a, it is a sense of a, round, a more rounded conception of the human condition that is a resistance. It is a, a politics of resistance against um, the domination of exchange values in our lives. That's, that's absolutely right and I think that that is one of the elements of religion that anti-religious um, commentators never want to focus on it is so subversive it is so subversive because it questions it challenges the materialism the consumerism the individualism that is wrecking our society if anybody was really serious about protecting people from oppressions whether it's by big capital or by totalitarian states or by any totalizing uh, um, organization that wants you to sign up for its version of the one big truth tells you how to live your life how to behave what you should believe what you're not allowed to believe how, how you should comport your life okay i don't live in that no okay you don't but i mean a heck of a lot of people I, do I, and I, traditionally religion I mean, Religion is in the business of doing that. That is is what religion is in the business of doing. It's in the business of. That's not confined to religion. That's not confined to religion. I mean, you you look at China, you look at sort of various states. around the world who are secular societies. No, no, you're quite right about that. Well, they all have one thing in common, which is we know the answer, you've got to fall in line, and if you don't, you're in trouble. They share that, yes, they share that character, which is the reason why you might be as against the uh, People's Republic of China government as you might be against the Roman Catholic Church or, or against Islam. They're all totalizing. They want to own Zaya. your attitudes and actions. But that does not negate religion as a force for good. That does not negate... 
the fact that religion does um, call into question sort of uh, highly individualism and this idea of sort of rampant consumerism. Religion offers an alternative to that. But, but, but on the, there's the flip side of that, which is the human rights approach, because religions are sometimes, and we must be careful not to generalise, hostile to a human rights approach, because that implies that there are individual inalienable human rights that, that are not consequent on, on God-given entities. But I do want to focus that the that the practicing politician here has failed to answer the question about what justifies not just a school discriminating a faith school, state-funded discriminating against a teacher on the basis of their sexual orientation or their religion, but what would stop uh, a hospital that has a, a faith mission from saying we're only going to employ doctors and nurses who are heterosexual or who are believers and active believers. And that's why the idea that you can rely on faith for community runs the risk of balkanization because people look inwardly at their faith. They say, we're going to provide this public service to our faith. They don't mix. And I think what society desperately needs is for young people, particularly in school, to mix as much as possible with people of other races and religions. And and discrimination in schools for pupils tends to add to existing segregation based on housing in this country. And so there's a, I think there's a public policy imperative to prevent that segregation and discrimination. John, you want to come I just don't, I, My problem is I just don't recognise this world. I mean, I'm a product. Um, every single one of my very large extended family is a product of Catholic comprehensive education, right? Um, I think it's a force for good in this country. I think it uh, creates wiser, more rounded uh, young people, uh, students who uh, learn about different alternative belief systems and there's a, there's a, a search for wiser uh, youngsters um, and they resist certain other forces in our societies which I think we should proudly state and seek to nurture that resistance. Are you saying that those other forces are all non-religious forces? No, I didn't say that at all. Again, this, 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 this seems to me this, this debate can be dominated schools? by caricature. But I mean, I just think, schools I think we that. should have a plurality of different schools, um, you know, with a, a, a choice based in terms of... Absolutely. But there's not a choice for the non-religious, though, is there? Because if, if, if you have an area with four schools, three of which are church schools, which often happens, a non-religious or wrong religious family has a choice of one. The religious person has the choice of all four. That is not fair and it isn't justified. Christina? Um, what Evan overlooks is our right as a minority, in, in our case, meaning the Catholic community, our right to teach our children the ethics that we were taught, our tradition, our identity depend on this. And that is, an, you know, it's an inalienable right in our society to be able to bring up our children in our religious system. No one's stopping you, but I don't think you, you should co-opt the state-funded education Evan. system me, to do if that. You... Religious education should be about what religions believe, not telling children what to believe. That's the role of the family religious and the church, and more strength to them. But okay. let's... Christina? Religious education allows children to be brought up with an understanding of a spiritual framework, and it's not just their spiritual framework. Because what I have, you know, I have a daughter in Catholic state school, and what I have been so impressed by is how her teacher, who's an Anglican, her, uh, her teacher, who's an Anglican, has said, I want you to explore the synagogue and listen to what they're teaching there. I want you to explore the um, mosque and, and listen to what they're teaching there. And then, yes, we come back and we talk about 
the differences between the religious systems. But the most important thing is we learn respect for other religions. And I have to say... Just as you do in, in community schools. Well, in yeah. lots of community schools, you don't re- learn well, respect so you for say. any religion. Proof by anecdotal yeah. assertion. Well, okay, I'm, I'm afraid... I, 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 okay, yeah. I'm going to ask Anthony to come back on that. Neither no, 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 Christine or, or, or John, with, with respect, are really picking up the challenge that Evan is giving them here, which is why should the state... Uh, and all of the rest of us, with our tax dollars going into the public purse, be um, Catholics fur- are taxpayers too, and yep. so are Muslims, and so are, Muslims, uh, and so are Jews. And guess what? Yep. The and best so, so schools, secularists. The best schools. Why don't you do all this uh, uh, religious education and encouragement and the rest of it in the family setting and in your church? Why are you, as Evan put it, co-opting the state to help us? it do it for you? That's point number one. Point number two is this. I visited a faith-based school just recently with a bishop. This was the atheist and the bishop going to uh, go and talk to these people. And they started by saying, at this school, we promote uh, mutual understanding and tolerance and, and uh, conviviality in the literal sense of that term. And uh, they, they were very proud of themselves for doing it. And I said, that is not something that we should praise you for. That is something we should expect from you as a minimum. That is, you're not super irrigating there. That is what we expect from you. What I would like to see from you, however, is a genuine in-depth exploration of what the consequences and commitments are of the different people in this school with their different faiths. It happened to be a Church of England school, but it had Muslims in it and Catholics, and they managed to find one uh, non-religious sixth former. And I asked each of these uh, uh, girls, who were all friends and did their homework together and so on, I said to the Muslim girl, what's going to happen to your um, Catholic friend here when she dies? I walked to the Catholic girl, what's going to happen to your Muslim friend here when she dies? And so on. Oh, gasps went up from the teachers and, and the bishop to say, you're being divisive and you're asking a, you know, an un- unpleasant question. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm trying to get them to think right the way through to the consequences of what they're really committed to believing. You, Christina, if you were a serious Catholic committed to believing that everybody else in this room, with the possible exception of John, if he's behaving himself, are not going to go to heaven. And that uh, is that, not... If you disagree with me, you I'm so sorry. I know enough... I know enough Catholic theology to know that there is no salvation outside the church. And if you were not a cherry picker, yes, if you are not a cherry picker about your religion, which you all are. Do you want to come back to that? (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Uh, Anthony, you must stick to philosophy. Do not venture into unknown territory. The Catholic (laughs) Catholic teaching is not about um, ours being the only way. I, th- I think these these sorts of. I think um, I think when when you enter into sort of such theological arguments, what you have to remember, I mean, particularly it's true of um, of, of Islam and, and the Quran. There is an, a high level of sort of interpretation of of the text and contextualization, and I think um, that's something that really needs to be better, to be borne in mind when you talk about. Um, you know the way that women are treated in in religion, the way that um, uh, non-believers are treated in religion. You, um, there there is uh, there are various sort of strands of thought. There are various ways of interpreting the Quran. Different um, schools of thought uh, within religion. Um, so it's it's rather unfair to sort of um, dismiss uh, religion as being um, anti-women, uh, homophobic. Um, anti-believers. But Samir, is it, is it un, um, unfair to perhaps, not for Anthony or Evan, but for others to perhaps question how people within religion deal with those sort of no, issues? That's No, that's not unfair at all. I mean, that's something that we as a faith are constantly constantly doing, reinterpreting. I, I don't know any text. Muslim women priests. I don't know any there, Anglican bishops. I don't know any Catholic women priests or actively gay or publicly actively gay 
priests in those areas. So the evidence that organised religion, okay, I'm sure there are dissenters, is not good news for, for women and gay people, even in their own church, which is their business as far as I'm concerned. But when it comes to public policy, they argue for discrimination, and I think that's a problem. And religion say, oh, women are too good for this, we place them on a pedestal. No, Religions tend religion to place is. women beneath a pedestal, in the words of Woody Allen, and, and it's very hard to identify any religious state or heavily religiously influenced state that doesn't have a real difficulties for, me, for women who, and gay people who already face well, difficulties. Well, I think that it's hard to identify any, these, any, any state. These so. debates percolate in and around all religions. I mean, mm. look, you know, the, the notion that, um, that you, you have a very prescriptive uh, belief system that you, you singularly attach yourself to if you are part of one denomination or another is a total falsehood. These are complex issues these politics they ricochet through all of these religions you know the, 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 it's the it's the absolutism it's the intolerance that dominates this new atheism which i i react against actually because it's so um it's so illiberal you, yeah it's so illiberal and it's so sort of <laughs> metropolitan as well and i i find it really quite i'd like to push back on that if i may because you know you you're able to say what you just said that there can be these debates and disagreements and flexibilities within faiths and between faiths about these important uh, matters only because you now live in a functionally secular society that had you lived three or four hundred years ago you wouldn't be m many Before of the views that you hold as a Catholic you wouldn't be allowed to on, on pain of punishment so in, in other words yeah, the when, discussion I, when I listen to Dawkins or uh, Sam Harris or you know Hitchens it's the it's the uh, it's the Absolutism. It's the intolerance. They sound like religious fundamentalists. Absolutely. They, they, they have all the hallmarks. Because they challenge us. Because they there's no nuance, there's no respect, there's I mean, no tolerance, I have like, there's no fluidity, there's no pluralism. One at a time. Okay, Samia. Yeah. Re religion is often a leap of faith for many people, but so is atheism. I, I see atheism in a similar way, that it is a leap of faith, because we're talking about the unknowable. Exactly. Okay, can I ask a question on that, on that point, um, perhaps to Evan? Um, it's Interfaith Week this week and Jonathan Sachs was talking about it on the radio today and one thing that I think is interesting is that we can all see why religion would exist whatever, whatever the truth because it kind of fulfills a very human need if there were no religion what, what would exist instead to fulfill that need? Well, as I said at the beginning, uh, I don't think that's a reasonable question because there are all, people have all sorts of beliefs. And as I say, the agenda that I have, which is to see a secular, a secular society, uh, involves people having absolute freedom to believe but not impose it on others and maximum freedom of discourse to have this discussion. It was uh, actually secularists that were strongly in the vanguard, though not uniquely, uh, pushing back against the plans for a, a ban on on uh, reli allegedly religious hate speech where you couldn't really challenge the views of uh, other religions in strong terms which is what religions want and need to do uh, so i don't I th so i think the real question the public policy question is uh, do, do we believe that we should separate the church and religion and should we end religious privilege specific religious privilege and try and maximize individual freedom of religious belief and the and the ability of religious organizations to organize themselves such that they do not discriminate or limit the freedoms of other people outside of that religious organization so people like me have no problem with the catholic church having a view that its priesthood is only for 
uh, uh, ostensibly heterosexual men. Okay, I don't have a problem with that. But what I do object to, and same with the Anglican Church not having women, but what I do object to is places in our legislature reserved for uh, for for older men who are not underrepresented in our House of Lords. That's just one example. Why do we have a, a constitution that says to William and Kate, if they have children, <laughs> and good news on their, on their marriage, that if it's a girl, that, that girl will have to wait behind uh, other people. And if William had married a Catholic, he would have to leave the succession. That is wrong. And so our this, religious see, state doesn't want to change by that. Seats in the House of Lords, Catholic schools. We haven't talked about the deeper questions that we were trying to raise about what is our culture? What are we seeking to resist in terms of the relentless destruction of it? I, jo- I joined the Labour Party because I was brought up. My middle brother joined the Carmelites. Do you know what I mean? We sort of moved <laughs> in and out. But it was built around a notion of duty, obligation, service, commonality in terms of the search for a, a, a better world. And, and, that, and just fetishising the House of Lords, you we'll lose just, the real rich texture. One second, one second. Before you we go into it, we'll, we'll, we'll go into it. I'd, I'd like to kind of discuss some of those issues more now. But before we do that, I mean, you are a Labour politician. Sure. And you do have to answer questions, surely, about whether religion's influence oversteps the mark well, within... I, I do. I do. I mean, look, a, a House of Lords doesn't work for me, you know. I mean, you know, faith schools, no. I think, I think we should have a plurality of... Uh, education institutions, you know, because they work for my family. It was also the haven for the migrant, actually, in terms of Catholic education. Um, And I think there's a strong element to this in terms of what are those groups and dynamics that um, have seeked to to defend certain cultural identities um, through their use of their commodification of their labour. That's basically where I fit in. It is very radical. Now, to say I, you know, I don't accept all of the creeds of our leaders, in our church, to tell you the truth, because I am a priori, a rebel in these things, you know. But I just refuse to accept this sort of the caricature that is dominant in terms of Do these debates. I just think, you know, let's let's focus on nuance. Just, yeah. just before I come to you, Christina, I mean, John, do you believe that lots of the good things that you see Catholicism perhaps giving to you through your life would have existed without religion? No, I don't, actually. I think uh, that was... Uh, that it was basically through the the diaspora and the role of religion in terms of uh, uh, cohering and retaining a certain belief system was absolutely critical in terms of the whole genealogy of my family. Well, it it was very interesting because Anushka's question was, what would we have instead of religion in order to have a good society? And I think what's... Okay, well, I mean... To fulfil the human need. To fulfil the human need. And I think communitarianism, which is what John was talking about, is absolutely true. And and John has written about a kind of labour vision of communitarianism and Cameron has his big society. Well, I'm big on the big society. I, know, I am too. I am too. I am too. I really believe that he st- struck a nerve. And I think that what is so important is that when you start examining these two concepts, these two competing concepts, what do we find? That they're all incredibly similar to the religious framework. You know, it is about charity. It is about loving others. It is about respect. Uh, it is about uh, volunteering. It's Christine, about not being materialistic and hijacking. Don't keep hijacking these, these notions to, to religion as if it was only... They're not monopolised by religion. They're religions. not monopolised no, by no, religion. I, you, you and I, John, would, would probably agree on, on very, very many points, uh, uh, politically and socially, and have exactly the same uh, attitude to the need for, for society to be uh, richly and, and deeply moral. And uh, a great deal of what happens in our society is 
isn't like that. Um, the, the way we think about others, the way we divide ourselves from others, the way people are always, you know, grasping for their own personal advantage is tremendously damaging. This has, that view has nothing whatever to do with some particular uh, religious tradition or orientation. In fact, the humanism with a small h, I mean, in, in the broad sense of this, which is the idea that we premise our understanding of ethics on our best, most generous and sympathetic understanding of human nature and the complexities of the human condition, is a very, very ancient tradition which predates all the major religions in, in the world today uh, and w which they have uh, adopted many of the tenets of. As I said earlier, uh, the the... the characteristic doctrines of, of Christian morality are in fact borrowed from Stoicism, Greek Stoicism, which is a non-religious outlook, because Christianity simply didn't have that wealth of ethical thinking in it for, for several centuries. And what one wants to do is to, is, to, is to concentrate on those commonalities, get rid of the doctrinal differences and divisions which can happen. And alas, you know, what, one of the problems that people have, which is why they argue so vociferously against, for example, faith-based schooling, is the, the danger implicit in it of ghettoizing people, separating them, and uh, uh, overemphasizing differences rather than commonalities. Okay, before I'm going to come to Samir in a minute, but before I do, Anthony, I started off by introducing you um, and mentioning a recent article you wrote where you said overall you, be you believe that the influence of religion was negative. Can you just explain how you came to that conclusion? Yes, on balance. I mean, I accept uh, that uh, uh, religious faith on the individual level can be something that sustains and, and succors people, uh, as can a, a deep commitment to the communist cause, let us say, or, you know, the psychological prop of, of uh, uh, identifying yourself with something is uh, an empirically well-established fact, and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to include in your metaphysics of the universe the existence of gods and goddesses or fairies and goblins and so on to explain that. But on balance, when you look at history, what you see uh, overwhelmingly is uh, division, you see conflict, you see the uh, oppression of the individual. I mean, I think just to take one small example, uh, all those teenagers who were, you know, riddled with guilt and anxiety over their masturbatory fantasies or something. I mean, I think of the huge oppression uh, on, on the human psyche as well as on human societies. And I think on balance, it's been a very bad thing that uh, uh, religious organizations have had such power over human individuals and societies for centuries. Thanks, Anthony. Samia? Um, I think um, what's being addressed here really is the idea of ideology and uh, fundamental ideology and also sort of extremist ideology. Um, and that could be um, attributed to any you know, religion or uh, non-faith-based ideology. Um, but but I, I'd just like to make another point. Um, what I find difficult is often the sort of discourse of um, uh, you know, sort of uh, religion versus secularism, and is, is religion a, a sort of force for good, becomes wrapped up in, in sort of um, this idea of, of demonising the other. I mean, I think as a Muslim, we do um, we, we do we feel this rather keenly. I mean, not wishing to sort of enter into this sort of sense of victimisation, um, but th there is uh, quite a sort of marked sort of Islamophobia which exists. Um, not just in the UK, but uh, but uh, you know across across Europe, uh, it's growing, and it is this sort of mythicizing of religion. It is this idea of um, religion as, uh, and particularly Islam, as, as some sort of um, other, some some sort of you know um, that that is contrary to so-called sort of Western ideals, and 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 I think that discourse is is what seems to be emerging. I'm not sure. I'm not sure from my study of it, that Islamophobia is founded on uh, objections to uh, the Muslims' belief in one God, or indeed in the Prophet. Uh, I think much of Islamophobia is racism, 
uh, and dressed up as a, an anti-religion. And uh, I think Muslims are victims of that. I'm with you 100%, but I don't think it's because of an anti-religious feeling. And if there is an anti-religious element, it is probably that practiced by some, and I would describe them as extremist, uh, Christian voices or Jewish voices who, who see that. You know, it's not the majority, I want to say, of, of the followers. I want to concede one thing, which I would would have done at the outset, which is that religion, as John has indicated, just like other uh, identities, can not only make people do good, but, but urge them, bring them forward into the political arena to seek to do work there. And I don't have a problem with that. And I recognize that in a number of politicians inspired by their religion, but it's not a necessary characteristic, as I think John would accept. However, in, there is one problem, two problems with, the, with a faith-based approach to politics. One is that by its very nature, some questions for some people are not subject to evidence because they're articles of faith. So if evidence came forward that condoms were not very effective at preventing the spread of AIDS in certain communities, I would accept that if I was shown scientific study, uh, a well-conducted scientific study as a basis for that. But some people will never accept the, the opposite because of a faith position. They're entitled to do that, but it's dangerous in policy terms. And secondly, in my experience, there's an over-concentration by religious organisations on matters to do with sex and we lose all the good things said by religion about asylum and immigration Absolutely. and those sorts of things and Tony Blair while saying he was a Christian and a Christian socialist had the politics of the bad Samaritan when it came to asylum seekers and sadly at election time the church I regret is silent or relatively silent on those things while concentrating specifically on sex and, and, and uh, important issues but, okay. but to the exclusion of those I, important things John. as well. I would totally agree with what you just said because I mean, that, it's lost its humanity. It, it refracted into a sour, shrill uh, text. Um, what I would say, though, going back to this question of... You see, what interests me is the future debates, the coming cultural wars, the framing that you see, the mosque in Manhattan, how that's linked to certain evangelical movements in this country, linked into the English Defence League, linked into a virulent form of Islamophobia. And unless there are more radical religious elements in this mix, I think you're going to see the terms of debate radically move and be caricatured between a... A religious debate and a metropolitan liberal debate, is and there part is of no the space in the middle, and we have to occupy those spaces. John, in the middle, is part you know. of the solution more Muslim schools for Muslims? Could be, yeah, yeah. I don't rule that out as a possibility within yeah, I certain think that would make re it worse. regimes of regulation, of accountability, of curricula, of whatever. Um, you know, I, think, I don't. You know, look, I think our yeah. young people, Northern Ireland, surely teaches us. I know it's complex and it's not just mm. this. But if you, if you educate children in a segregated way, then it's much more difficult, not impossible, but much more difficult for people to be seen as something okay. other than yeah, the other. And well, I think segregation know. of children is deeply invidious okay, to a cohesive society. What we as Catholics felt during you know, the IRA days here in England mm. was in this city. really hunted and haunted in the way that the Muslim community feels now. And one way of shoring up our defences was to attend schools where we didn't feel that we were the victims, where we didn't feel that we were the, you know, the suspected terrorists at every step of the way. And what you call, you know, invidious ghettos were great defences. They, you know, they were havens, oases of peace and respect. 
Uh, Samia? Um, I, I would have to confess um, at this stage that I am not a huge fan of faith schools. Um, however, what You're I... You're getting shot up. <laughs> but what, what I... Um, what should I, be a confession. What, 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 but, what I, but what I would say is that um, you do have ghettoisation on a, on, a, in, on a very informal level across the country. I mean, I, um, I lived in Bradford for a while, and you have extreme ghettoisation of schools there... Um, and, and, and that is primarily because you have an element of white flight. Um, where Absolutely, there's um, segregated housing. Yeah, yeah. We, it's very hard However, in a liberal society to force have, people not to live somewhere, but the state can at least not make it worse by segregating the schools. True, but what, I mean, what, what you have is you have um, families who their, their local school is, say, 40, 50 percent um, Pakistani Muslim. Uh, the, the student makeup is is. Is, is such, and they will send their child, or a white family will send their child to a school that is, you know, much further away, so that they so that they can, you know, not be in that environment that is predominantly Muslim. So this does go on. And that's because that school is allowed to give preference to the white, because they are white. It's a proxy in many cases, not all, for, for, for racial segregation. It's allowed to give preference on religious grounds to that person against someone. Uh, from their own community who, who isn't I mean, that religion. I mean, this comes to a question of sort of choice and um, schooling, which is another issue altogether. Um, but, but, but I, I mean, I, I would say that this, as I said, this goes on. This does... This okay. does um, before, before we... Sorry, on, could I just uh, one, one quick comment about what Christina said about the, the, the safe haven of the community when the um, faith felt under pressure. Um, you, you describe that as a, as a solution to a difficulty that the community in question faced, but, but in fact it's a consequence of the ghettoization that had already occurred beforehand. Had there been no such divisions, there would have been no driver for, for people pulling up the drawbridges around those ghettos. You know, when I, when I think about four or five and six-year-old kids in kindergartens and the first years of, of primary school, they don't know that they're Catholic or Muslim or Protestant or anything else. They're just children. They get on with one another. They don't care about skin color or creed or ethnicity or even language. You know, my little daughter went to a school where there were 36 different languages spoken in that school, an absolute rainbow uh, place. It was wonderful. And they had no, no conception of, of divisions or differences between them. They had to be taught that. It takes a lot of energy and effort to teach those kids that they're different from others, believe different things, that other people are not the same as them and perhaps not as good as them. And, and that's a tragedy. And it happens so by, and you can, perpetuated by the fact that very, very quick responses uh, from Sam and Christine, and then I want to change it. Quite so, quick. so by taking religion out of the classroom, then you you ignore the plurality that does exist. So children will, the will, contrary, will be unaware contrary. of other faiths. On the contrary, they're you just human beings. Religion, just not instruct in religion, is what I want to see. Put it in the national Inter- curriculum. Interaction with people of other religions is the best way to dispel myths and and, and stereotypes. No, well, just interaction with other human beings as human beings. Okay, what I'm going to do, I just want to bring one very quick last thing into it and then we're going to wrap up um, and I'm going to ask you each to just um, wrap up one by one. But before we do that, can I just ask you one question, John? One thing we haven't touched on is the religious right in America and the power of its voice. Um, And I think, I don't know if it was an article that Anthony or someone had written where they were arguing, well, you talk about the extreme secular voices, but actually that voice is much louder in America. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about that and then we'll... um well, I mean, that, that's the thing that worries me, is the uh, religious right. That's why I think... Um, look, I, I um, was a Labour MP who happened to be a Catholic, and then when I stood for election within the Labour Party, the, the, the fact that I was a Catholic drowned out the fact yes. that what I was talking about in terms of policies or debate. So therefore, I intuitively, I then react against that and then say, OK, you know. But unless there is a, uh, 
are more radical religious contributions that can drown out or crowd out the religious right and the way they are systematically framing cultural debates across mainland Europe. It's interlinked with a crisis of social democracy as well, where social democracy is almost the haven for a liberal metropolitan elite and bits of the public sector. That's what it's residualising into, and the religious right is is systematically redefining the terms of public debate around flag, nationhood, religion and family. And unless that is the real contested terrain, and it's not simply retreat into this liberal atomised conception of the self, then I think we're in real trouble culturally across Western market economies. And therefore, I would emphasise is a different tradition which contests the fundamental architecture of capitalist society actually and that's where I think we have to be in its more radical political uh, voice and that has religious elements that has non-religious elements but there has to be a coalition a plurality to contest the real challenge which is the the way that the religious right are framing it with Pastor Jones t-shirts people walking around central London with Pastor Jones t-shirts in real time as a mosque in Manhattan thing is blowing up linked into tea party phenomena and the search for a street militia in this country these are the dominant issues this is not an abstract debate to me because it's played out in the fights of the BNP where the redeeming elements are faith-based coalitions to, to defeat a violent street-level attack on you know some of the central tenets of our plural culture that we would all seek to defend. And Pastor Jones, of course, is um, the American... The yeah, the Florida, the Florida the guy who was burned the Koran day, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, that was a very, very good conclusion from you, John, so I'm going to leave you there. And for the others, I'm going to go around, and I just want to come back to the question that we're asking. Is religion a force for good in the world? Um, if you could keep it quite short, I'd appreciate it. Christina? I think... Absolutely, yes, it is a force for good in the world. And the challenge for our society is to take the good that religion offers and excise the bad. Evan? The key question is not whether religion is a force for good in the world, for policymakers, it's to what extent can we change things in respect of religion? What we should seek to do is take organised religion out of of the state and out of... uh, politics in terms of privilege so that there's a level playing field for all religions and none a secular society actually a secular state doesn't mean that people are less religious because the united states actually demonstrates that Uh, but we there is a real worry that people who are who are fundamentalist uh, uh, in their approach to policy are much more difficult to reason with than, than, than a- anyone else in politics. So I think it's incumbent on us to recognise that it's not a question of being anti-religion, it's anti-privilege of religion and integration of religion into the state. That's what I think the policy debate okay. should be about. Thank you. Samia? I think religion and the practice of religion is a complex journey for many people and I think that needs to be recognised. And also... Um, you know, we're talking about sort of the religious right. It's the sort of media exposure that the religious right receives. You know, you have a minority of um, extremist Christians or extremist uh, Muslims who propagate a, a certain point of view, and the overwhelming majority of peaceful believers do not share that point of view. However, the moderate view is is drowned out. Well, I think that uh, a good world would be one in which people approach one another first and foremost as fellow human beings uh, with whom they share far more than they they do um, have differences. And and 
thinking of, of the people you encounter in the world as, as fellow human beings means that you put that fact before their gender, their, their sex or sexuality or their political orientation or their religious views or their social background or how much money they've got. And if we were to think in those terms, and I, I think of that as a, as a fundamentally humanist approach uh, to the world, it, it would be a, a much more... Uh, much more of a community, the world as, as a whole, a sort of global community. And these artificial divisions include among them, chief among them, I think, because it looms very large, far beyond um, national boundaries and, and, and alongside differences of ethnicity, are the religious differences between people. You know, and it's, it's a, it's a, it seems to me a tragedy in the last decade or so that this should have come back with such force into the public debate because for decades before that, if people had a religious commitment, well, they kept it more or less to themselves. We all got along with one another, didn't talk about it, dinner parties too much. It was a bit like talking about your sex life. You, you kept it quiet. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a tragedy, really, that it's raised its head up again in this way uh, and proved to be as divisive in the present as it was in the more distant past. Thanks, John. As you're nodding, do you want to just say no, a final word? No, I agree an awful lot of that, actually. You see, there, there is, once you reach beyond caricature, once you reach beyond the sort of absolutism within which this new atheism is, is, is framed, I think there's a, there's a lot that can be respected across this whole divide, uh, which searches for the nature of human endeavour and... and, and so can I make just one little, one, little, one little remark about, about the, the phrase militant atheism? I wonder what non-militant atheism like. Is it that you believe there's just sort of a divine foot? Do you, do you think Mr Dawkins a is, a, is a fundamentalist? No, he's an assert... He asserts... He's, oh! You know what? He just asserts his view. And I think, why should an assertive atheist be called extremist or militant? Because as far as I know, none of the people who are, con- who are labelled as militant are in any way violent or promoting violence. They're just asserting their view as strongly as religious leaders right. do. Okay. Even, well, you've even answered that question. Leaders. You see, that, I think that's quite revealing. Because when I look at him, I see, you know, I see a, a really... Uh, angry fundamentalism that I recoil from. And you know why you see it that way? He speaks bluntly and he speaks frankly and he speaks his mind and you don't like what he's saying. That's why you react as you do. He certainly doesn't rant. He writes books and talks in a considered way. I think, John, you and I... Christina are the, uh, rather than the authors in the room, uh, are the the, the ranters. ranters, And I would put Richard Dawkins, whose views, I mean, I don't happen to proselytise against uh, religion. I want to see a secular... Mm. No, I respect where you come from. (laughs) I wouldn't Um, call him militant. Okay, I think that's perfectly revealing. But most people of faith do want to practice their religion quietly, privately. Mm. There is an element of being pushed into the public sphere and being held accountable. But is there an argument that... in fact, the secular voices haven't been heard. Haven't been recently. heard until I, recent I, I, years. I, 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 until recent years. Until recent years. Oh, there is a new virulence on the radio. Yes. Yes. And, and, and that's positive. It's positive that yes. you know this, this sort of you know the secular voices is being it's heard. A large proportion of the population. Yeah, absolutely. There's no reserve broadcasting time for it. It has to compete with everything else. And on that note, we're going to bring it to an end. I'd like to thank you all for being here. John Crudders, Christina Rodoni, Samia Rahman, um, AC Grayling and Evan Harris. Thank you very much. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Don't forget to start your free 14-day trial of audible.co.uk and to download your free audiobook, head to guardian.co.uk slash audible.